inexhaustible. Amen. His goodness is inexhaustible. His mercy is inexhaustible. If you could stand to your feet and turn to Mark chapter 5, as we're going to look at verses 21 through 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Those of you who are visiting with us for the uh, first time, we do welcome you and we praise God for you. Uh, we pray that today already has been a, a wonderful experience for you. And our prayer is that God's word, that it would open your hearts and that you would be able to receive a word from him. Amen. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and the precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, wonderful, magnificent, transforming word of God reads. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And those who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who, who touched me? Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And, she, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he, had, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha Kuma, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. 
They were immediately overcome with amazement as, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and, and told them to give her something to eat. Today we want to tag this pericope, no lost causes. No lost causes. Let's pray. A gracious Father, I thank you for your word. Speak, Father. Please speak, Lord. Please move. Please allow your anointing to be present, Father. Please, Father God, refresh us, revive us, convict us. Do whatever you want to do, Father. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some time ago, I had a car that kind of gave out. Got the car towed to a mechanic and waited till they did a diagnosis. And as we're waiting and waiting, he came out and he said, Mr. Williams, I've got some bad news for you. The car's transmission is gone. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. To put a new transmission in this car would be a loss of money. Because while we were under your hood, we saw so much wrong that it's worth, it's not worth repairing. In essence, what he was telling me was that, that my car was a lost cause. It was a lemon. And then he began to tell me that the best he could do and the best that I, I could do is turn the car in and get a little money for the metal. You know, some of us are, are like that mechanic here this morning. As we look at people in our lives, we are looking at them and we're saying to, to ourselves, that person is a lost cause. We're saying that this person has been tangled in this sin for so long, it's really no hope for them. We're saying that this person who doesn't look like us, who doesn't maybe walk like you or talk like you, that there's no more hope for them. We're, we're, we're looking at certain people and we find ourselves saying to ourselves, this, this person might as well just trade in their lives. They might as well call it the day they will never change. And even as we sit here today, some of us, as we look at ourselves, sometimes we are tempted to say, you know what, I'm a lost cause. I've been dealing with this Addiction. I've been dealing with this affliction for so long, I might as well just stop having hope. I might as well just give up because no one can help me. My marriage is a lost cause. We've been going in circles now for 20 some odd years. My, my child seems to be a lost cause. They've been dealing with this addiction for, for so long. My sibling is a lost cause. And that's real talk. We all sometimes have a proclivity, a, a tendency to, to look through the eyes of fear rather than the eyes of faith. But the Lord has a word for us this morning. And the big idea that, that the Lord wants to drive in your heart today is, is he, wants to, he, he wants to show us that, that radical faith, radical faith is what he expects from us. Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood will see that they had a, a radical faith. What is faith? Faith believes that, that in Jesus there are no lost causes. 
As we look at faith and as we try to define faith in this text, we can walk away saying that faith believes that, that in Jesus there is no lost causes. And the Lord is going to show us that today. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a, a quick overview of the chapter. And after we do a quick overview of the chapter, we're going to, to look at this faith that these two individuals had. And then we're going to talk fairly quickly about faith blockers. Things that hinder us from having radical faith. So if we look at this chapter, we'll see uh, it's kind of in three parts. The first happens in verses 21 through 24. We see a desperate man, a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus has been waiting by the sea. He's he's waiting on Jesus to to cross back over the lake. And when Jesus comes, he, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And he says... Jesus, my daughter has been dead. Later on in the chapter, he lets us know that he has a, 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 20, uh, a 12-year-old daughter that is dying. Matthew's account says that he just walks up to Jesus and says she's dead. And what we can take from that is, is that probably when he left his house, this little girl's life was slipping away. And he knew that by the time he got to Jesus, she was probably going to be dead. So he's frantic. He's frantic just like you would be if if your child or your niece or or your nephew is on the brink of death. He is coming to Jesus as a physician because he has heard about all the miraculous things that Jesus has been doing. And he, he is throwing himself at Jesus saying, Jesus, I believe that you can heal my daughter. And after that, the scene switches. It changes. The Bible says that Jesus begins to walk and there's a great crowd around him. It's a throng. They are thronging him. They are pressing him. They're shoulder to shoulder. Jesus is on a mission. Can you see Jairus? He's on a mission. They're, they're rushing. They're trying to get to this little girl. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he asks a, this, a question. He begins to look around and he says, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. Because some power was released from me. Now the disciples are thinking, you're in a crowd. Everybody is touching you. But this touch was a peculiar touch. This was a, not a curious touch. This was, was, was not a, a touch of a groupie. This was a touch of a person who was desperate. This was a touch of a person who had faith that if they just could get to him, if they could just touch his garment, then things would be made well. This woman probably touched him in faith, but, but probably touched him a little bit out of superstition. As in the ancient world, they believed that if a great person like Alexander the Great, if a great person passed you and if you could touch them, a, a part of their aroma, a part of their presence, a, a part of their goodness, a part of their power would be transferred to you. But nonetheless, she believed that all she had to do was touch Jesus. Jesus healed her. He ministered to her and he kept going. As he was ministering to her, someone came with a report and said, Jesus, the girl is dead. Jairus, there's no reason to keep running. Your daughter is gone. But Jesus kept going. Jairus kept going. Jesus ends up raising this little girl from the dead. We've got to see here that these two individuals, Jairus, And this woman with the issue of blood, that they did not believe that they were a lost cause. 
Jairus did not believe that his daughter was a lost cause and this woman did not believe that she was a lost cause even though she had been dealing with a hemorrhaging issue, a blood issue for 12 years, even though she had went broke trying to find healing, going from place to place, physician to physician, doctor to doctor, hoping that she would be healed in order that she would be brought back into the community, in order that she would have normalcy to her life. She still had hope. She still believed. Why? Because faith believes that in Jesus there is no lost causes. And we say that that's a radical faith, but as we look at the scripture, uh, uh, that should be a normal faith of a, of a person who believes in Jesus. As Christian, our faith must say that in Jesus, it's not over until it's over. That with Jesus, there are no lost causes. No lost causes. Now, the key there is in Jesus. Because a lot of people in the world have faith, but it's not in Jesus. People in the world, they they have what's called a a misplaced faith. Those who are not in Christ, they have a, a misplaced faith. But Mark is trying to get us to see that the object of our faith is Christ. He's trying to get us to see that that R. Kelly had it wrong. I believe I can fly is a lie because Jesus is not the object of your faith. In the eighth grade when that song came out, singing along with him until it got corny. You know how a song plays out. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. I believe I can soar. I see me running through that open door. What y'all know about R. Kelly? Amen. R. Kelly, brother, you can't fly and we can't fly. Try it. (laughs) And if you live, they will institutionalize you. A lot of us, we're walking around with misplaced faith. We're putting our faith in someone other than Jesus. And God is telling us to stop it to repent, to turn from the way we've been thinking and to see Jesus as who he is. And that's what Mark is doing throughout this book. He's he's showing us, Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is trying to show his listeners that Jesus was not just merely a man. He was not just merely a prophet. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the Son of God. And he shows us by, by showing how many miracles he did Jesus healed lepers Jesus healed Peter's mother who had a a horrible headache Jesus wowed the crowd because he preached as one with authority he preached as the very author of life but lately he's been showing us something extremely special about Jesus not only is Jesus a healer but Jesus has the power over nature as we see in chapter 4 Jesus speaks to the sea And it comes at his voice. Not only does he have power over nature, but he showed us in the first part of Mark chapter 5 that Jesus has the power over demons. Power over the supernatural realm. As he heals a man who has been possessed, a man who was hopeless, a man who people thought was a lost cause, a man who was in a cave, a man who had given up and said, I will always be this way, a man who was tormented and who was tormenting others. But when Jesus showed up, The torment ended. 
Jesus has the power over nature. Jesus has the power over disease. And in this text, we see that over demons. And in this text, we see that Jesus has the power over disease. And Jesus has the power over death itself. So what's hindering you from having a radical faith in Jesus? What is hindering you from looking through at your situation instead of looking through fear, looking through faith? What, what, what hinders us? What blocks us? What blocks us? Well, in this three texts, I, I believe that we see three potential faith blockers. Look at your neighbor and say, watch out for those faith blockers. The first faith blocker is our perception of God. Our perception of God. Many of us, we have the wrong perception of God. And because we have the wrong perception of God, we can't have the proper hope in God. What is the wrong perception of God? A lot of us, we think that God is cold. We think that he's impersonal. We think that he's unwilling. But as we look at this text, we see that God is not impersonal. God is not cold. We see the exact opposite. We see a very personal God. We see a very accessible God. Now, Jesus said to Thomas and the disciples, he said, if you see me, you see the father because Jesus is God. So we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see that he is everything but impersonal and he is everything but unwilling. We see that Jesus shows up on the shore and when he shows up on the shore, there's a crowd around him. Now, Matthew's gospel gives us a little more insight. I believe it's in Matthew chapter nine. Matthew shows us that that when Jesus came to shore, that he began right away to preach. In fact, he's preaching a message against the, the religion of the day, he's preaching about fasting. And in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of his message, Matthew says that a ruler stands up and yells. He says, Jesus, I need your help. My daughter is dying. Do you see this? Jesus is preaching. Jesus is ministering. And Jesus stops. He looks at the man on the ground who, who is worshiping him, who is saying, only you can heal my daughter. And he begins to go with that man. Jesus is not impersonal. Jesus is accessible. He had disciples around him, but they weren't his bodyguards like some preachers of today. He didn't need them. He was, he was accessible. He was, he was personal. He goes with Jairus. Goes with Jairus. And, and, and as he is going with Jairus, we, we see that he is touched by a woman. As I said, a woman who may have been superstitious. This woman comes to Jesus and, and begins to, to uh, touch Jesus and Jesus heals this woman. He allows his power to be released from his garments. He allows her to be made whole. And then he stops in the middle of rushing to Jairus' daughter. He stops. She's on her deathbed. He stops and he says, who touched me? And he would not move until she revealed herself. Why? Because Jesus is personal. Jesus could have just left. He could have just kept walking and said, mm, I just healed somebody. Mm, I just blessed somebody. Mm, I just did this. But he didn't. He stopped. He said, no, I don't want to just be a genie. No, I don't want to just be known as a miracle worker. I want a disciple. I want to know this person. I want to know them. 
He stops and he speaks into a life. He ministers into his life because he wants to know her. Jesus wants to know you. Some of us in here, we we think he's impersonal and and we think that he's a genie and we want a miracle from him. But God is not looking for people who just receive miracles. God is looking for people who are fully devoted followers, people who want to know him, people who want to be in his presence, people who just want to hang out with him and talk to him, people who want to take some time to get to know him. He is not impersonal. He He is very personal and we see that this continues as he goes into the house and he 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 sees the young woman and he kicks people out and he has his leaders and her her parents there. Look how he ministers to this young girl. This is amazing. This is amazing. This just blows up our theory that Jesus is cold. Look at what he says. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And, And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in with where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia Kuma. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Look what Jesus did. He, he, he took those who were close to her. They, they're in a room. And he says, Talitha Kuma. Theologians say that this word, little girl, arise, was more of a, a term of endearment. They say that this literally would have been like us today, touching our daughter in the morning and, or, or a little child and saying, honey, Get up. Honey, arise. Sweetie, it's time for school. You see how how caring he is? You see how delicate he is? He's not tough and and hard. He's gentle and meek. He says, sweetie, it's it's time to arise. It's, It's time to get up. It's time for your life to be restored back to you. He he takes the time with Jairus. He he takes the time with this woman and he takes the time with this child because he wants a relationship. And not only does he take the time, but look at what he does in the text. Right after that, he said, listen, get this young woman some food for she's hungry. He could have just healed her and walked away, but he doesn't. He heals her. He's thinking ahead. He's saying she's going to be hungry when she gets up. Somebody get her some food. And don't you know that Jesus cares about you and that he wants a personal relationship with you? And he don't just care about the big things, the things that you're tripping about, but he cares about the small things, the minute things, the the simple things. He's very personal. And he's very willing. We see two requests and two answers. We see a desperate father whose daughter is raised from the dead. And we see a desperate woman who's healed. A lot of times we think that God is just unwilling to do what we what we need to meet our needs. But that is not true. He is not cold and he is not unwilling. We we, we see in, in chapter six that Jesus is in Nazareth and he is ministering in, in Nazareth. And, and the Bible says that he could not do many miracles there, many miracles in his home place because they were equalizer. They were trying to say, who are you? You're just like me. I'm not going to listen to you. He said he did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. But all throughout Mark, the first five chapters, we see that Jesus is willing. The leper comes to him and says, Jesus, I'm sick. 
If you are willing, you can make me whole. What does Jesus say? He says, I am willing. The only people we see Jesus rejecting, the only people we see Jesus not coming through for are the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And those who refuse to put their faith in him. He's willing. Well, what does this mean for us? This, this, this means for us that we need to be like Jairus. We need to be like this woman with the issue of blood. We need to come to him as the old adage goes. We need to come to him and we need to pray boldly. But we need to complete, uh, surrender completely. Because of his willingness, we can come to him boldly and surrender completely. Listen, there are three answers to prayer. Three answers when you pray that you're going to get. Yes. Yes, but not now. Or no, because I've got something better for you. Yes. Yes, but not right now. Or no, because I've got something better for you. The Bible says, Jesus says, if, if men who are evil know how to give good gifts. <laughs> if men who are evil, if your fathers know how to give you gifts, how, how much better do you think the gifts that God has for you? He tells us to pray boldly. He says, ask and it will be given to you. He says, seek and you will find. He says, knock and it will be open. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will, not it might, it will come to pass. Oh, but preacher, 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 preacher. Preacher, preacher, preacher. You getting into that prosperity gospel stuff. That crefo. I didn't finish it. I, you finished it. I didn't finish it. Listen to what I said. I said pray boldly. But surrender completely. When we pray, we need to pray saying, Lord, if, it, if it's your will, we need to pray knowing that the Lord is going to carry out his will. And if he does not carry out his will, it's because it was not the best. The best for us. The best for his kingdom. But sometimes we use that as an excuse. Sometimes we lean on God's sovereignty and we use God's sovereignty against them. Sometimes we pray for things and the whole time we're thinking, well, God's just going to do what he wants to do. So, Lord, I know. We come to him. We come to him sad. We come to him like 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 he doesn't want to help us, like he's not going to meet our needs because we're hiding behind his sovereignty. But Jesus does not tell us to hide behind his sovereignty. Jesus tells us to come to him. Come to him boldly. Martin Luther says, pray and let God worry about it. Do you come before God boldly? Writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. He says, let us draw, let us come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive grace, that we may receive help. Let us come boldly, he says. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently in the presence of God. Because of Christ and our confidence in him, we can come boldly and confidently. We can say, Lord, I'm, I'm broken. Father, I'm, I'm struggling. Lord, this, this lust is getting to me. I can't defeat it. Father, take it away. We can say, Lord, my marriage is, is making me miserable. Help my marriage. Take it away. We can stand and say, God, I know you love me. God, I know you are able. And we don't have to hide. We don't have to come like, like he's not going to hear us. We can stand flat-footed and say, Lord, I believe in you. And we can walk away from it, knowing that he has heard us. Knowing that he has heard us. Our perception of God is a faith blocker. The right perception of God will give us the right faith in God. Second faith blocker. In fact, before we go to second, let me, let me. Let me deal with something that I know that if you're like me, you deal with. Sometimes we don't come boldly before the throne of grace because we think and because we know that we're not worthy. Sometimes we look at our lives and we see that we're falling short in certain areas of our lives and it it hinders us praying to our father. We say, we, 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 I'm unworthy. I, I can't come before him because of what I did last week, because of what I said to my husband last night. I can't come before God boldly because of this or because of that, because I'm imperfect. And I just want to point your attention to this text and notice who this is that's coming to Jesus. This is a woman who has an issue of blood. This is a woman who is ceremonially unclean. As the Levitical law says that anyone who has bleeding that is coming out of her, when a woman was on a period or if she had a, a hemorrhaging problem or someone was bleeding, they had to leave the camp. They had to leave Jerusalem. They had to go outside of the camp. They could not be in communion with God's people. Why? Because blood is sacred. A lot of times we think it's because blood was just nasty and gory. No, it's because blood was sacred. God said that, that the life of a person is, is found in the blood. And, and, and people who were dying, people who were, were, had blood leaving, they had to leave the camp because Israel was to be a people of life. They had to leave until they were restored. This woman was unworthy. She was not supposed to be in this crowd. She was not supposed to be around anyone, let alone touch someone. But yet she knew that if she could just touch Jesus, that she would be made worthy. And that's what the gospel preaches. The gospel tells us that in and of ourselves, we are not worthy. In and of ourselves, we are messed up. In and of ourselves, we are fractured. In and of ourselves, we are broken. We are confused. We are a head case. But if we put our faith in Jesus, all of that changes. Jesus' power, Jesus' cleanliness, it is transferred into us. It is imputed into us. We are justified. We look, we stand before God just as if we had not been broken, been fractured, and been sinful. Don't come to Jesus. And don't delay coming to Jesus because you feel like you are not right. Come to Jesus having faith that he will make you right. Well, Pastor, you know, I can't. I can't be hanging out with y'all every Sunday because I'm still smoking weed. I can't can't be uh, in the midst of of God's people because I'm still doing this. I'm still doing that. I'm telling you that what would cleanse you is your faith in Jesus, not faith in yourself. Second faith blockers, other people. 
Second faith blocker is other people. We see in this text, starting at the beginning, that Jairus is introduced as a synagogue leader. Meant that he was a man of high reputation. He was a ruler, Matthew's account says. He was a man of nobility. But also he was a man that was well acquainted, even though he was not a Pharisee or a Sadducee, he was well acquainted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are are the religious leaders of Jesus' day who are completely missing the mark, who are completely misrepresenting God. These men hated Jesus. Early on in the book of of, of Mark, in Mark chapter 2, we learn that they are already trying to come up with a plan to kill Jesus. This man was tight with them. They were his homies. And yet, he understood when things got tough that he had to let them go. He could have lost his reputation. He could have lost his name. He could have, he could have not been unpopular, but he said, forget y'all. I, I need a resurrection. I, I, I need some hope. I need something to happen here. And, and hanging out with y'all is not going to help. And the reason why some of us is in the predicament that we're in right now is because we're too busy trying to impress people who don't know God. I'm going to preach anyhow. You can say amen. You can say ouch. We are busy trying to impress people who don't love God. And some of them are religious folk. Some of them come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. Some of them sing in the usher board. And I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about your friend's church. Some of them are ministers and deacons and pastors. And the reason our faith is lacking is because we've got the wrong people around us. Not only are the Pharisees and the Sadducees trouble for him and he, he realizes that he has to press past them, but we also see that the crowd is a problem. Whenever we see the crowds in the book of Mark, we we see that they always just seem to be in a way. Remember the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 and and how he was paralyzed and he was just trying to get to Jesus. And and Jesus and his friends had to tear the roof off of his friends. He had some good friends, some some friends that was full of faith. He didn't have some crazy friends. It wasn't Nuke Nuke and Bebe no who was trying to get him to not go to Jesus. No, no, no. It, it, It was some true friends, some friends that knew that if we could just get him to Jesus, everything will be all right. The crowds were always in the way. And we see here, Jairus is leaving, trying to get to his daughter. And he and Jesus got some groupies all around him. People that don't love him, just groupies. People don't, that don't want to know him, they just want something from him. Aren't you tired of people just hanging around you? Just, just, just leeches? But, but Jairus presses past the crowd and the woman with the issue of blood, she showed enough presses, don't she? She said, I don't care who's around you. I'm, I'm going to press in. I'm going I'm to get in. When I hear this crowd, I think of a, a, a festival called the Taste of Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, grew up in the shy, and every summer we would go down to the Taste of Chicago. It was vendors all over downtown Chicago, and they set up the, some, some, their, their food, and you bought tickets, and you went around, and you just ate until you committed gluttony. <laughs> Greasy gyros. I remember one time we went down to the taste. I went down with my, my best friends. It was just two of us. It was three of us. And, and two of them was brothers and one was a little brother. And before we left the house, his mother said, y'all don't lose my son. Don't lose my son. Stay with my son. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. And as soon as we got down there, the crowd came. We went and got something to eat. And we're looking around and saying, where is <laughs> Lost in the crowd. Panicking. We went all around. Couldn't find them. Literally millions of people there. We could not find them. Called home and said, we lost your son. You did what? 
And we hear him in the background, Mom! <laughs> she said, I already picked him up. He called me from a payphone. When I think of this crowd, I think of commotion. I think of busyness. I, I, I think that things are just going crazy. And this woman said, I'm not going to allow the crowds to stop me. I'm not going to allow them to stop me. I've got to get something for Jesus. Some of you all, you are allowing the crowd to stop you. Youth, when you come to church, you're allowing the crowd to stop you. He's over here texting and he's over here playing with this and she's playing with that. And y'all flirting, looking at each other with the Google eyes. And, and God is trying to get a message through to you, but you're allowing the crowds to get to you. Touch your neighbor and say, faith blockers. Said youth, adults, that go to you as well, amen. Uh, but let's keep moving. We see in this text that not only are the crowds determined, but we see something crazy. Jesus is moving, and, and they're coming, and they just heard that the Jairus' Jairus's child had, had died. And Jesus comes, and he, he pulls up. With Jairus, you know, they get out the car. And as they approach the house, there's commotion. There's people wailing. There's people crying. There's people screaming and yelling because this child had died. History tells us that it was regular for, for the Jews that when one person of a community died, that, that even a poor person, that they would then go and pay professional mourners to come to their house. The community would come over and they would all stop what they're doing. Sometimes they would even put on sackcloth and ashes and they would cry together in order to signify the fact that this is not normal. Death is not good. We, we are with you. So these professional mourners are with Jesus. These people are with, are with, with Jairus' house and, and Jesus pulls up and they're just, oh my Lord, you know, they're just going crazy and they're trying to jump in on her and they're trying to do all this and it's just a crazy scene. And, and Jesus looks at him, he says, the girl is not dead, she's asleep. Now the girl was really dead, but what Jesus was saying is that this, this is just temporary because I've got something planned for her. But the Bible says that something peculiar happens. The Bible says that they respond like Sarah. You remember Sarah? Who, who, who laughed when God told her that she was about to have a, a child. And she was old. She's like, ha, ha, ha. They started laughing. They, they started mocking Jesus. They started laughing because they were faithless. They're like, this man is crazy. But what does Jesus do? The Bible says that Jesus kicked them out. The Bible says that Jesus said, get away. And what did he do? He grabbed her parents and then he grabbed Peter, James and John. He grabbed the inner circle. He grabbed those who he probably thought had the most faith. He kicked out the, the, the faithless and he held on to those who are people of faith. I'm telling you, some of us, we got to we got to clear out our cell phones. Some of us, we've got to stop having lunch with some face, faithless people. Some people that's telling you that your marriage is always going to be that way. Some people that's telling you that your life is always going to be that way. Some people who are just constantly feeding negativity into you. Some people who are always finding something that's not going right. Some people who can't see the glass as half uh, full, they always see it as half empty. Yeah, the Cardinals won today. Yeah, but you know they're going to lose versus Kentucky. 
faithless people are hindering many of us from really reaching Jesus, from having that radical faith in Jesus. People who don't want to grow. People who just want to go through life. Do you want to go through life or do you want to grow through life? I don't know about you. I'm tired of just going through life. I'm ready to grow through life. I'm ready to go to another level with Jesus. And we can't go to another level of Jesus if we're hanging around religious folk who don't love Jesus. And if we're hanging around people who don't believe in Jesus. And we're holding on to them as our friends. Now, now, trust me, I'm all about witnessing. I'm all about ministering. I'm all, Jesus, the Bible said, he, he said he had meals with, with the, the outcasts of society. And we should, we should be hanging out with people who are not like us, people who don't believe what we believe. But in hanging out with them, our goal and our main reason of hanging out with them is not that they will influence us, but that we would influence them. Some of us, we're just hanging out with folk who we ain't even trying to influence. Can't get them to come to church, but they can get you to come to the club. Faithless people. Faith blockers. Wondering why we're struggling. Gifted but confused as all get out. Anointed but confused as all get out. Like we're on a carousel, on a roller coaster. We're up one minute and down the next minute. Maybe we should start taking a journal and saying, who am I talking to when I'm down? Proverbs said, whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Are you walking with the wise or are you walking with fools? Are you in the crowd that just want to be around Jesus because you think he's a genie? Or are you hanging around Jesus because you know that all it takes is one touch? Proverbs 14 and 7 says, leave the presence of a fool for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Telling you, leave the presence of a fool for there you do not meet words of faith. Watch out for those hope stillers. Watch out for those joy stillers. Watch out for those peace stillers. Watch out for those faith stillers. And I'm going to twist it on you. Don't be a faith stiller. Don't be a hope stiller. Because everybody in here is not, not just hanging around with people who are negative. Some of us in here are the people who are pulling other people down. And I'm calling you today to repent. I'm calling you today to look and stop looking through the eyes of fear. Stop being a hater. Go get some Gatorade and not some Haterade. I'm calling you to put your eyes on Jesus to see that he is the one who can calm the storm. To see that he is the one who can raise Lazarus from the dead. To see that he is the gospel. He is the good news. To see that the anointing of God was upon him to preach the good news. To see that he can give you beauty for ashes. To see that he can correct your wrong. To see that he... The third faith blocker. It's God's timing. God's timing. God's timing. Third thing that hinders our faith from being radical. Third thing that hinders us from saying that faith believes that in Jesus there's no lost cause. This is God's timing. Let's look at this really quickly. Really quickly. We see here that Jairus, of course, is desperate. He comes to Jesus as a physician. The woman with the issue of blood is desperate. She comes to Jesus as a, somebody say, physician. Jairus gets to her first, him first. And Jairus also has a more desperate case 
than the woman with the issue of blood. His daughter is on the brink of death. Can't imagine going to a hospital with my daughter in my arms. Her life is leaving. It's only one other person. There's a crowd of people there, but, but there's only one other case that, that, that is urgent. I can't imagine going before that doctor and saying, Dr. Hiller, help her. And him looking away and saying, wait, somebody touched me. This woman is here and she's in the emergency room because she's been messed up for 12 years. And I want to help her. If, if that was me, I would, I would walk away and my daughter died. The first thing I'd be saying is malpractice. The first thing I would be saying is I'm going to take this hospital for everything they got and split it with Forest Baptist Church. What's up with Jesus? This woman, this little girl is dying. And you stop to help someone who's still living. Don't you feel like that sometimes? I know you won't admit it, but I'll admit it. Sometimes I do. I feel like maybe there's some malpractice going on. I know God is holy and he's sovereign. And I'm just being real. Sometimes my faith is not there. And I'm looking around. I'm saying, God, I'm desperate. God, I can't feel you. God, I need you. Lord, I, I need your wisdom. God, where are you? God, I see such and such over here. They're flourishing. I, 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 I see such and such kids. They're doing well. I see such and such. Their job, they're, they're getting new stuff. And, and Lord, I'm just hurting. Lord, where, where are you? Father, I'm lonely. Lord, send somebody my way. Why does it take God sometimes so long to meet our needs? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it's because, <laughs> I know it's because, God is trying to conform us, not to the image of that other person that we're looking at. But God is trying to conform us to the image of his son. And in order to conform us, to shape us, to make us, and, and to make us to look like the image of us, his son, he's got to send us through some suffering. And, and sometimes that suffering takes a, a little longer because we're not getting the message just sometimes. I'm not saying all the time. Sometimes God got to get some self-righteousness out of us. Sometimes God's got to get that spirit of entitlement out of us because we think that we deserve. And, and you know what God told me? He said, Jamal, let, let, don't ever come to me like you deserve. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what you really deserve. Don't you know that one sin is enough to separate me and you for all eternity? Don't you know that I'm holy and that, that since I'm holy, I cannot embrace unholiness? And don't you know that even on your best day in your best clothes, that you are not holy enough to be in my presence? So sometimes God does some stuff in my life in order to, to work that other stuff out, in order that I will fall on my face like Jairus and, and fall on my face like this woman and say, I'm not worthy, but God, you can, you can do something that I cannot do. Sometimes God delays because God is doing something in us that we can't do in and of ourselves and sometimes it takes pain sometimes it takes tribulation 
Sometimes it takes sorrow. One day a pastor was in his office and, and, and a young man came into his office and, and he was breaking down. He was crying. He was, he was messed up and he'd never seen a young man before. And, and the young man said, listen, pastor, I, I really need your help. And my life is falling apart. My girlfriend left me. My job is about to be lost. I, I really need your help. And the pastor looked at him. He says, I'm glad that you're going through what you're going through. The young man said, what? You're glad that I'm going through it? I just told you that my life is falling apart. He said, yes, I'm glad that your life is falling apart. Let me ask you a question. Before your life was falling apart, have you ever stepped foot in a church? Have you ever stepped foot in a pastor's office? He said, I'm glad that your life is falling apart because Jesus is the only one who can give you real life. And that young man was, was saved. Sometimes God allows our life to fall apart in order that we will run to him. Rather than running to the club, rather than running to get drunk or get high, rather than running to the job and thinking that if we just clock some overtime, we can get a bigger house or a better car, God says, no, 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 no. Your focus is in the wrong place. But sometimes God allows us to go through things even, really, it's, it's not because he's just trying to, to correct us, but sometimes he's just trying to give us a, a better vision of them. But listen to what Jesus does. In verse 38, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jairus is probably upset, just found out she's dead, wondering probably why Jesus is taking so long, acting like he just asked him over to to have coffee or something. And Jesus looks at him and he says, trust me. I know my timing seems a little rare, but trust me. I know your pain seems unbearable, but trust me. I know you feel like throwing in a towel and and not having faith in me anymore, but trust me. I know you've suffered some heartaches and some losses recently, but trust me. Even when God's timing is not our timing and it looks like he's not making sense, God is whispering to you, do not fear, only believe. Because you will never know what faith, faith is not faith unless you are going through something. Faith is not faith if if you're not uh, in need. Faith requires us to believe something that we cannot see, something that we cannot understand. And God is saying, trust in me with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I shall direct your path. Isn't that what God told that the woman who, who wanted a son, who named his son Samuel, she wanted a son, but God wanted a prophet. You, you want one thing, God is saying, you want this, but I can give you something better. You wanted your daughter to be healed. I wanted your daughter to be raised. Do you believe that God knows what he's doing? Do you believe that God is in control? Can you hear the spirit of the Lord speaking just as he spoke to Moses? When Moses was at the Red Sea, Moses, trust me. Reach out your rod. Do you you hear Jesus in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trial saying, there is no lost causes in me. Just like David heard and felt the spirit of the Lord when he was going against Goliath and he stood strong because David could trust the Lord. Do you have that faith in God? God's timing is not our timing. And God's ways is not like our ways. 
as far as the east is from the west. But I'm telling you that God never does anything unless it's for his glory and your good. And in a short while, it may look like it's not for your good, but I come to tell you it is for your good. But you've got to stand firm. You've got to have faith. You've got to put your eyes on the son of God and you've got to believe that in his hands, whatever you put in God's hands, it will be taken care of. And someone here today, you are not putting your faith in Jesus. You are are not running after him like you should. You are being stubborn. Your life is falling apart. You you feel and and see the Lord moving, but you are continuing to, to suppress the truth that God has revealed to you because you refuse to trust Jesus. And I come to tell you, trust him. Come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are laden and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Trust them. Understand that you can never stand before a holy God and point to your good works on that day of judgment and say, you should let me in because I was a good person. Understand that there's no such thing as a good person. Understand that the only way that you will be accepted into the kingdom of God is through the blood of Jesus. And oh, how precious is his blood. Oh, how precious is the flow that wakes me, that wipes me white as snow. No other name I know but Jesus. You've got to trust Jesus. He is a a lawyer in a courtroom. You've got to trust Jesus. He is the the great physician. You've got to trust Jesus. He is the, the bomb in Gilead. You've got to trust Jesus. He's the way out of no way. The Alpha and the Omega. The Lion and the Lamb. You've got to trust Jesus for your salvation. Repent. Agree with God. See yourself as a sinner. See him as holy. Throw yourself before him. Get rid of the faith blockers and say, Lord, make me whole. Make me whole. Some of you have been suffering for a very long time. God is saying, faith believes that in my son there are no Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us, Father God, to be a people full of faith. Help us to press past the crowds. Help us to have the right perspective of you. Help us to trust your timing, to know, Lord, that that in you, Father God, the promises of God are yes and amen. And that if you said no to us, Father God, it's not because you're mean and deranged and don't care about us, but it's, it's because you're loving and gracious and you do care about us. And you want to do something for us that we cannot see, that we cannot fathom, that we cannot understand now. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.